What a joyous thing it is for us to be able to gather this morning and to sing at the top of our lungs that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? Amen. So thankful for the music team and all the effort that they put into this to lead us in a time of music and singing. Uh, and we're just so thankful for uh, all the gifts that God gives to His church, whether small or great. God is using all of them to uh, advance His kingdom and to display His glory. Well, this morning I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, you'll find it on page 691 uh, in the Pew Bible or the Chair Bible in front of you if you're following along in that. It will be the majority of our text this morning, but we'll also jump around a little bit to see uh, some other texts as we look at and consider this topic of the Kingdom of God. Last week we started a new series on that very thing, the kingdom of God. And we decided to begin by making a few clarifications and presenting to you a definition of what the kingdom of God actually is. What is the kingdom of God? You notice that as the title of your sermon from last week, this week, and we'll look at it, Lord willing, again next week. But if you recall from last week, we defined the kingdom of God, and you can find it on the insert in your bulletin if you'd like to fill it in. We defined the kingdom of God as God's authority and ability to rule over any and all realms within the created order. And my desire in starting this series is that we might be encouraged in light of all the things that are going on around us, in light of what seem to be chaotic times, it's important for us to have a proper perspective on what the Lord is doing in our world. And so we began to unfold this topic last week by giving this definition, and we looked at a specific realm in which God exercises his absolute authority. Last week, we looked at this authority specifically exercised over the realm of nature. My desire in establishing this kingdom reality was to show how God's authority over nature, specifically related to Jesus Christ and His proclamation of the good news of God's kingdom in the gospel. This morning, we are going to take a step further in that exploration and look at a second, the second of three realms over which God exercises authority and why it matters for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The second realm that we will look at this morning that God exercises His authority and ability over is the realms of men. The realms or the kingdoms of men. Brothers and sisters, here is something we must never forget. Jesus is sovereign over the kingdoms of men. Amen? He is orchestrating the affairs of men toward a certain goal and end. This is a process 
But the final outcome will be, hear this, it will be the triumph of the great King, Jesus Christ, over all other kings. Or presidents. Or senators. Or whatever your governmental structure is, Christ rules and reigns over them all. We see this authority in several places throughout the Scripture. Psalm 47, verse 6-8 through says this, Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on His holy throne. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 15 says this, Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, He takes up the coastlands like fine dust. We see this idea, this reality of Christ ruling over all the nations generally in these portions of Scriptures and many others. But one that I want to look at specifically this morning is Daniel chapter 2. And I'm realizing as I preach that I was so excited to get into this topic that I forgot to pray for us. So let us take a moment... And let us sanctify this time in a word of prayer. Let's pray together. Father, what a glorious thing it is for us to be able to come to the Word and to be consoled by the reality that Jesus Christ is King. That He is ruling even now over the nations. And that that rule and authority will one day be fully and finally demonstrated in the kingdom to come and even in the eternal state. But now we wait as there's an overlap between these two kingdoms and we anticipate the the coming of Jesus Christ the King in His glorious return. Father, would You use this truth this morning to encourage our hearts? Would You use it even to give us perspective on the things that are going on around us? We're so thankful that You are here with us this morning and we pray this in Your name. Amen. Daniel chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 17. Now there's a lot going on in the book of Daniel that we will not be able to look at this morning. But my main point, hear this, my main point in turning to this portion of Scripture is to see that even the greatest kings of this earth must ultimately answer to the King of Kings. Even the greatest kings on this earth must ultimately answer to the King of Kings. And we see this throughout all of the Old Testament prophets, but especially in the book of Daniel chapter 2. Let me set the context for us a bit. Nebuchadnezzar, who is the ruler of the most glorious kingdom known to mankind, that is, the Babylonian Empire, has a dream. And this dream seriously unsettles King Nebuchadnezzar. 
So much so that he calls in all of the wise men, all the wise men in all of the lands to not only interpret this dream for him, but to tell him what it is in the first place. And what we learn throughout the beginning chapters of the book of Daniel is that none of the magicians in the kingdom can tell the king of his dream or interpret it. And so, the king turns to an unlikely prophet from the exiles of Judah. And this prophet is the prophet Daniel. And after gaining an audience with King Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel goes to the Lord in a word of prayer, asking for the dream and its interpretation. And we see that prayer in Daniel chapter 2, verse 17. Read it with me together. It says this, Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azirah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. Verse 21. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with Him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and might. And you have made known to me what was asked of you. For you have made known to us the King's matters. Now what we notice in this prayer of Daniel is that he recognizes God's absolute authority over every realm. Not only the physical, but also the metaphysical. God knows all things and He gives knowledge to all people. God searches all of the depths even the depths of men's hearts. The God of the nations knows Nebuchadnezzar's dream, not only because he can see into the deep recesses of men's minds, but also because God gave Nebuchadnezzar a look into future kingdoms. Kingdoms, that God Himself oversees and directs towards His purposes for His glory. One thing that is particularly important for our study is the revelation that Daniel makes for us in verse 21. Look at it again. It says, God changes times and seasons. God removes kings and sets up Kings. And this revelation that was made known to Daniel is drawn from the interpretation 
of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Notice the dream in verses 31 to 45. Daniel chapter 2, verse 31 to 45. says this, You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floor. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Verse 36, this was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, hear this, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom. Quick note on verse 33, verse 36. Notice that it is God who has given Nebuchadnezzar the, the kingdom. The kingdom de- belongs to God and he has the right and the authority to give it to whomever he wants. And he gave this kingdom to Nebuchadnezzar for a short time. Daniel goes on. He says, The power and the might and the glory, and into whose hands he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron. It shall be a divided kingdom, but some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, and they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. Now, from most of the commentaries that I consulted, it would seem that these kingdoms correspond to the Babylonian kingdom, the Medes-Persian kingdom, the Greek kingdom, and the Roman kingdom. We see Daniel give us the interpretation of the head itself, that is, the head of gold, as Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom. And it would seem that the subsequent kingdoms correlate 
with the kingdoms that succeeded the Babylonian Empire. But that's not the main point that I desire to make here. The main point that I am making here is that these kingdoms only exist because the one who has authority over all things ordains them to exist. Even the mere fact that Daniel is so accurate in his assessment of these subsequent kingdoms that are to come alludes to the fact that these very characteristics are part of God's plan for them. God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and He is positioning them as He sees fit. But one day, all of these kingdoms will give way to the ultimate display of power and authority in the kingdom of Christ, which will be manifested in Christ's glorious return. Notice that in verse 44 of this very passage. It says in verse 44, And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. Brothers and sisters, one day the authority and power of God's kingdom will be manifest on this earth for all to see. And this text is intended to give us hope for that great day. That's the main point of Nebuchadnezzar's dream and its interpretation. It's not primarily interested in identifying world powers, but instead its desire is to promote that as the kingdoms of men deteriorate, the kingdom of God is established like a rock. The kingdoms of men come and go, but the kingdom of God is eternal. The kings of this earth grow weak and frail, but God neither faints nor grows weary. And this is a lesson that Nebuchadnezzar learns firsthand. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 4. As we see in Daniel chapter 4, God teach Nebuchadnezzar this very lesson. Daniel chapter 4 verse 28 says this, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this 
great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. Again, a quick note here. Notice the audacity of King Nebuchadnezzar. After being told his dream and the interpretation of his dream and the God who was behind his kingdom, he is not content to give God credit where credit is due. Instead, he places all of the credit upon himself, upon his glory, and upon his might. Instead of recognizing the power and authority of God, he boasts in his own power and authority. But for this, he pays a great price. Notice as we continue in verse 31, yeah, verse 31 says this, while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom He will. I don't know how much clearer you could be. Immediately, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. Verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion. And His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And He does according to His will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay His hand or say to Him, What have you done? So what's the point of all of this? The point beloved, is that nothing is out of God's control. God has the right and the ability to do all that pleases Him among the hosts of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. Whether we look at the world from a micro, that is God's rule over the details, or a macro, that is God's rule over the big picture perspective, God is controlling and orchestrating all the affairs of mankind in order to accomplish His purposes and His kingdom. God gave the kingdom to Nebuchadnezzar and He took it away from Nebuchadnezzar. God grants 
position. And he takes position away. God rules over the nations. And he governs them as he sees fit. And there's nowhere we see this more evident than in the coming of the Son of God to earth and in His crucifixion. Why is it important for us to understand that God rules over the affairs of men? Why is it crucial for us to establish that God is overseeing all the governmental structures of mankind. Because God has been working. God has been working since Genesis chapter 3 to bring about His promised Redeemer. And He is directing the created order, both creatures and men, to accomplish that end. That's why it matters. Because God is working all things. Looking forward to the coming of Christ and the fulfillment of His promise. Do you remember that promise that God made in Genesis chapter 3? Genesis chapter 3 verse 14 says this, The Lord God said to the serpents, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Genesis 3.15 is this first promise of this coming Redeemer. And we see after the fall of man into self-rule, God promises to bring about a Redeemer that would save us from our kingdom of self. And that redemption is found in Jesus Christ who not only addressed the penalty of our sin, but also does away with the power of our sin as well. Through the crucifixion and the resurrection, God deals with our rejection of His authority from the beginning. And He brings this about through secondary means. By orchestrating the affairs of men. Because as we have seen, He has the authority and the ability to do so. And He does all of this in order to accomplish salvation. Now we see this in a number of places throughout the Bible. But let's just turn to a few portions of Scripture that show us God's Sovereign plan over the nations in order to bring about the salvation through His Son. Turn with me over to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. Verse 
Here we see God's authority over time and space and history to to direct all things to this climax in sending His Son to the earth. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. What we see here is that God sent Jesus at the fullness of time in verse 4. What the author means by this is that Jesus came at the exact moment that He was supposed to come. All things in history lined up perfectly in this moment to carry out God's will of salvation and all of the things lined up perfectly because God ordained them and directed them. Notice what Tim George says in his commentary on this passage in Galatians. You can find it on the insert in your bulletin. He says this, Early Christian apologists pointed to the fact that the birth of Messiah occurred during the Pax Romana, a period of relative peace and stability. Others have pointed to the development of a common language, favorable means of travel, the emergence of an urban civilization that made possible the rapid spread of the Christian message and so forth. Still others have pointed to the lapse of a definite period of time that had to occur before the appearance of the Messiah. It is sufficient to say with Calvin that the time which had been ordained by the providence of God was seasonable and fit. Therefore, the right time for the Son of God to be revealed to the world was for God alone to judge and determine. God had carefully governed all of the details of human affairs to bring about this one moment in human history. The authority of the high priest or the Romans or even the cruel way in which they punished criminals, were all being used by God to accomplish salvation. We notice this over in John chapter 19. You're welcome to turn to John 19 if you desire, but it's also found on the insert in your bulletin. John chapter 19, verse 8 says this, When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you? and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, 
you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Jesus acknowledges the power structure here, but does not ultimately assign the authority for such a structure to Pilate or to the Romans or even to the Jewish hierarchy. Jesus points to the plan and purpose of God. The only reason, the only reason Pilate or the Romans or the Jews had any authority over Christ was because the ultimate authority had granted it to them in order to accomplish his purposes and will. Caiaphas did not have the final say. Pilate did not have the final say. God had the final say. The ruler of the heavens and the earth had put this event into motion long ago, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. And he was bringing all things to a convergence in this one redemptive moment. Peter, in his sermon on the day of Pentecost, tells us in Acts chapter 2, verse 22 through 23, again, you can find it on the insert in your, in your bulletin. Peter says this, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through Him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And so what is the kingdom reality that we learn here? It's this. God's plans and purposes are ultimate. And He has the authority and the ability to, address, to direct the affairs of men to accomplish His will on the earth. When looking at the kingdoms of men, we must see them in light of God's greater kingdom in heaven. God is the sovereign of the universe. And nothing, absolutely nothing, happens outside the counsel of His will. Now let's take a brief moment here at the end and apply this to our day and age. Can we be confident that God's kingdom is being accomplished around us? The answer is an absolute yes. When we look around at the political climate of our day, we ought not be alarmed in a big picture kind of sense. We can look at the injustice and untruth 
that is going on around us, and we can be righteously outraged, but we ought not be shaken. For this is exactly what the Scriptures warned us of. We see it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Turn with me there. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 1 says this, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God proclaiming Himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining Him now, so that He may be revealed in His time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only He who now restrains it will do so until He is out of the way. And then... The lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, I am not implying nor am I dismissing that we are living in the last days. But we can be sure That the spirit of lawlessness and the spirit of deception is growing considerably among us. The delusions which the Apostle speaks of can be seen in every news headline and on every television show. And if we, if we focus on our surroundings, we may just think, That the enemy is winning, but he is not. And the kingdom of God is still advancing its plan and purposes. And one day, beloved, Jesus will return. And he will establish his very kingdom on this earth. 
And he will destroy all the works of the evil one and will usher in a time of peace that has never been known. Do you remember the stone that we saw in Nebuchadnezzar's dream? The stone that crushed all other kingdoms of men. That stone is Jesus Christ. Listen, in Luke chapter 20, verse 17, it says, But he looked directly at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stones that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Beloved, Jesus Christ is the stone predicted by the prophet Daniel. And even now, He is breaking through the kingdoms of men by establishing His rule and authority in men's hearts in this age. Which is what we will look at next week. But there is coming a day. There is coming a day when the full manifestation of Christ's rule will be revealed to the kingdoms of men on this earth. In the millennial kingdom, we will see the glorious rule of Christ as He reigns over all the nations with an iron fist. And His kingdom will be visibly established among all the peoples. And for that day, We wait in anticipation. Let's pray together. Father, what a glorious truth it is that we see revealed this morning in so many portions of Your Holy Word. Father, it is You and You alone who establish kingdoms and depose kingdoms. It is You and You alone who have the right and the authority to give kingdoms to men and to take those kingdoms away. And so, Father, as we look around us, as we see the kingdoms of this world, the political structure around us, Father, may we not be taken back or shaken as if this is something that is not to be expected in this age and this world. Father, but may we be resolved that You are in control and that You are working towards Your ends and Your purposes in all things. May we continue to advance the message of Your kingdom among the nations. We're so thankful that You are doing this work in and through us. And we pray this in Your name. Amen. Amen. We'll sing our song of response. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, we read, The saying is trustworthy and deserves.